Good morning. Turn with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7. As we continue our messages on characters in the Old Testament. Character. We think of character, we think of character traits. There's a danger in speaking to an audience about characters in the Old Testament, or New Testament for that matter, and the danger is that um, there's two different kind of people in the audience. There are those that know the Lord personally, they've had an encounter with the Lord, they've recognized the message that He had for them, and they bowed in submission to the Lord, believing that message. It's the gospel message. There are those in this room that do not know the Lord. And um, we have to remember that. Perhaps they've heard the gospel many times. Perhaps they know people that know the Lord. But they've never had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. They've never heard His voice through the eyes of faith. They've never been personally convicted that God was speaking to them. Or perhaps they have, and they ignored it. So there's two types of people in the audience. And I don't know which one you are. Some of you I do, some of you I don't. Maybe I might be surprised. So the danger in speaking on character studies is, is that for those that do know the Lord, that have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, He is doing a work in the heart of those individuals during their remaining time on earth. He's working on our character. He wants to make us more like Himself in His perfect character. And that without taking away our own personality. And it's a lifelong journey learning to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we become more like the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a greater um, efficiency as we witness because we're showing forth the Lord Jesus Christ in His character. And when people are, have criticisms about our lives, Perhaps they're true. And the Lord wants to take those criticisms out of the way so that He can reflect Himself through us to those that don't know Him. So that they might see, wow, if that's what the Lord is like, I want to know Him too. And so that's what the Lord's doing. And so as we um, speak about the characters this morning, remember that if you don't yet know the Lord, we're not talking about perfecting your character because it's impossible to make yourself better in the eyes of God without the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that does it. He's the one that transforms. When we go in the Old Testament, uh, it's a little different. In the New Testament, we know that the Holy Spirit, when a person receives the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in their heart. He abides in Him forever. In the Old Testament, it wasn't quite like that. And so in the Old Testament, we see that the Spirit of the Lord um, might fill a person and then might leave a person. So we need to remember that as we uh, talk about the study. The study. We're in a transition period now. Do you, does anybody remember what was, who was spoken of last week and the week before that? I know one person here would. <laughs> the speaker. Who do we speak of? Samuel. Very good. Good memory. Samuel. Now, we're transitioning from a period in Old Testament history from judges. And now we're transitioning to kings. So there's a big change here. There's a big transition. Anybody remember the last judge? Samuel. That's right. He was the last judge. 
And now we're going to introduce the first king. Does anybody know who the first king of Israel was? King Saul. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. But before we do that, I think it would behoove us to get a little background, get a little flavor of what's going on in Israel at that time, because it, I think it comes into play in people's decisions, in people's desires, and people's actions. Okay, a little bit of background. Um, there was a priest. His name was Eli. You might remember Eli because he was officiating as a priest at the time of Hannah. And you remember Hannah was barren. And she prayed to the Lord. If the Lord would provide a child, she would dedicate that Lord or that child to the Lord for service. She had a child, a miraculous birth. And she named him Samuel. That's right. And so when he was older, old enough to deliver to Eli, he was delivered to Eli to serve the Lord. Now, I don't know if you know this. I didn't know that before, but I narrowed it down. Did you know that Samuel was of the lineage of Levi? Yeah, it says that in First Chronicles 6. What does that mean? That means he qualifies as a priest. Okay, so he qualifies as a priest. We'll find out later on that he was recognized by all Israel as a prophet as well. So we have in Samuel a prophet and a priest. Okay, now, Eli had two sons. And I'm not probably going to pronounce them correctly. No, I um, Phineas or Phinehas? Is that how you say it? Huh? Pinhas. Thank you. <laughs> what was the other name? <laughs> okay, the other name was Hophni. Hoph- okay. Sorry. He had two sons. And I, I shouldn't be bothered at mispronouncing them because they were wicked in the sight of God. It says specifically they did not know the Lord. And yet they officiated as priests. And they adulterated the altar, in a sense, of the offering. They would um, take meat before the fat was cut off because they wanted to roast it by fire. Um, they lay with women that would come along uh, the tabernacle. They were wicked men. And it even says that the Lord sought to put him to death. And he eventually did. So this is the spiritual temperature of the time. You have Eli, that's the priest, that mildly rebukes his sons. His sons continue in their behavior. And God set a man of God to speak to Eli. First Samuel 2, 27. The Lord says, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of the offerings of Israel, my people? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I indeed, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now this shall be a sign to you that, that, that will come upon you, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, excuse me, not, um, in one day they shall both die. So, God was done with Eli. He was done with his two sons and he was going to bring an end to that. And here we have Samuel growing up in the midst of that. Seeing that. And yet his heart was different. His heart was soft and tender to the Lord. And he grew spiritually in stature before God and before men. And that's amazing that in the midst of this corruption that God could raise up someone. But he can. And he does. And so we see Eli and his sons playing a part in perhaps the progress of history and even Israel and how they feel about it. 
They, dis, uh, they discouraged Israel from bringing offerings to the Lord. They discouraged Israel about the Lord and the things of the Lord. But the Lord has his own solution. And his solution was he's going to take them out of the way. And he's raising up Samuel, a prophet and a priest. And so this is part of the, the history and the lead up to, to wanting a king. Eli, or God gave the same message to Samuel that he gave to that man of God. And Eli pressed Samuel for what that message was. And Samuel repeated it. His sons would die. So it's interesting to, to note the circumstances about the death of his sons because the Philistines made war against Israel. And Israel went out against the Philistines. And thousands were killed. Thousands were killed. And so they had a bright idea. Let's go get the tabernacle or the ark. Let's bring it to the battlefield. Because then... Um, God's bound to help us. You know, it's interesting. People think they can strong-arm God. You can't strong-arm God. You can't outsmart God. Because when that happened, the Philistines still had the victory. And Eli's two sons were killed on the battlefield. The ark was taken by the enemy. And a report was brought back to Eli. Eli heard about the report, fell over backwards from where he was sitting, broke his neck, and he died on the spot. Fulfilled prophecy. So what about the ark? It's interesting to note that in studies of the Old Testament, God has dealings with individuals. But he also has dealings with nations, with peoples. And he had dealings with the Philistines at this time. Because he allowed the Philistines to take the ark. And do you know where they took the ark? You see, God maintains testimony for himself. Do you, did, were you going to say something, Jenna? Oh, I, thought, I saw you raise your hand. Um, sorry. Does anybody know where the ark was taken when it was captured by the Philistines? Okay. The, the, the place. I mean, the, that's right. The house of their god, Dagon. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right either. But apparently there was a statue of Dagon there. And they put the ark in there. And what do you think happened the next morning when they got up? That statue of Dagon was flat on his face before the Ark of God. Now, if that's not a message to the Philistines, what is? So they stand him back up on his feet again. The next day, what happens? He's not only flat on his face, but his face is missing. His heads and his hands are missing off the statue. So they realized, um, you know, God was powerful. And, and uh, who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? You know? These people were bowing down, a piece, bowing down before a piece of wood, considering a God, and now they were bringing the ark of the living God into the presence of this piece of wood. But God was giving them an illustration. Their God, he's nothing. The Lord God, he is God. He's almighty God. He's the God of Israel, even if Israel doesn't deserve him. He's the living God. Living God. And I thought that was interesting that um, God had a message for the Philistines. But they got the message. Because God also smote them with tumors. And they started getting sick with these tumors and it was so widespread they realized, let's get this ark out of here. <laughs> so they moved it to another Philistine city. And uh, what happened there? Same thing. People started getting tumors, getting sick. Let's move it out of here. And, and they tried moving it again. But it doesn't matter where they moved it. God had the same message. He was judging them. And so... They sought to what to do to the, with their priest, and they said, well, you've got to give that ark back. 
send it to its rightful place because we're suffering at the hands of God. And so they did, and they, um, they provided an offering. And they, um, they sent, it was interesting, they, they took cows and they um, connected them up, yoked them up to a cart, and, and they said, just let them go. And if they go in the right direction, you'll know this is of God. But the caveat there was they took um, cows that have calves and they took them away from their calves to do this. And so a, a cow would naturally want to return to his calf. So the cows themselves went against their natural instinct at the obedience of God. And so here are dumb animals obeying God when man can't. And they, they go mooing, lowing, or whatever you call it, down the road, and, and they take the ark back to Israel. And so when it's received into the hands of the Levites, they, Levites, they, they chop up the cart, cut up the animals, and offer an offering. And then a group of them, foolish as they were, they opened the ark and they looked in the ark. And God, God smote, I think it was 50,070 of them in one shot. You see, he had a message for people. What do you think that message was? God is holy. God is holy. You know, a lot of people, they, they have trouble with that, that God is holy. I don't see how there could be a hell. Isn't God supposed to forgive? Isn't, yeah, isn't God uh, a God of love? Yes, he's a God of love, but he's a holy God. And a holy God must be treated with reverence. And um, that's one thing I learned in my life. It's better to understand what God's like and bring your attitude in line with that than complain about what God's like because God's not going to change. And it's him with whom we have to do. We have to answer to God. And so we can ignore him. We can choose our own path. We can disrespect him. But in the end, he will have the final say. And he is a God of love. And he opens his arms. But on his terms, not ours. So there was a very expensive lesson that those people learned that day. You don't take the things of God lightly. One thing I like about the character studies of the Old Testament as we go through this, and get a flavor for what's happening is we learn about God and how he deals with people. Different times, different circumstances, different individuals. But as we study it, we get a picture of the living God and what he's like. And that's precious. Precious. And I, I, I like to, and I'm sure you do this too, when you see a good movie, what do you do? You put yourself in the place of some of those characters. And you think, wow, if I, if I was there, I wouldn't do that. I would do this. <laughs> And sometimes you find yourself, you know, speaking to yourself as you're watching. Oh, that's stupid. Why did they do that? You know. Well, it's easy to look in the scriptures and say that about some of the people. It's hard to look at our own lives and realize we sometimes do the same things, make the same silly mistakes, the same costly errors, and we don't um, run to the correct solution like some of the characters did. And so it's for our edification. It's for our growth. Okay. So we have the Ark of the Philistine. Now it's returned. Um, to Israel. And they, uh, after the, the men, after the Lord struck 50,070 of the people, I'm in, uh, 1 Samuel 6, verse 19, if you want to look along. He struck 50,070 people, uh, 70 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. We have blood throughout the whole Old Testament with the animal sacrifice. 
And people take issue with that. But to me, it's because the message is so important. The message of those blood sacrifices is so important that God doesn't want to miss it, that he's willing to slaughter thousands to get the message. Now, here's something more valuable than animals. This is, these are men. And they sinned against the Lord. And so we need to take a heart, take to heart how valuable this lesson is that the Lord is holy. 50,000 men struck. The men, uh, and they, the, uh, the men of Beth Shemesh, that's where it was, said, Who is able to stand before this holy God? And to whom shall it go, uh, shall it go for up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of uh, Kerjath, Jiriam, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it. And so they took it and they moved it um, to uh, Kerjath, Jiriam. And then down in uh, chapter 7, we read, Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. So we have a window into what was the real problem with Israel. They were, they were worshiping idols. They had other gods. Now, here was the God that delivered them from Egypt by miraculous signs and wonders. He made way for them and brought them into a land flowing with milk and honey, defeated all their enemies, and protected them. And through the period of the judges, it was a constant cycle of them disobeying God, wandering from God, serving other gods. And God let an invading army come in and take over until they repented. And then God came in and rescued them. (laughs) And there was peace and tranquility for a time with the judge. And then the same cycle over and over and over again. I'm amazed at how patient the Lord is with us. Sometimes the lessons that we need to learn because of our fault, we have to learn them over and over and over again. Would that we were those that were quick learners, that we would only have to learn once, perhaps twice, and then we learn our lesson and move on to greater lessons. God is so patient. He is so patient. And here he promises them, I will deliver you from the Philistines. Put away your gods. Repent. Turn to me. If you're a Christian and you know the Lord, does it bother you that what God wants from you is to live in a constant posture of dependence on Him? Dependence on Him? That's bothersome to the flesh. That's bothersome to my nature. See, as we look at the economy, there's a lot of uncertainty around us, isn't there? I mean, many people perhaps in this room have pension plans that have probably taken a dive 30, 40, 50%, maybe more. All the plans laid up. And just, you know, in the last year, they dissolve. Uncertainty about the future. Terrorism in the world. Natural disasters, they seem to be coming with greater frequency. And God wants us to live in dependence on Him on a daily basis, whether it's for a job, whether it's for a life mate, whether it's for a career, whether it's for a future, whether it's for healing for a sickness, dependence on God. We will never get away from that as Christians. So we need to get used to it. What's the great thing about that? 
let's, let's, let's read an example of what the Lord can do here. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. They had a, a righteous priest praying for them. Not like Eli. Not like his sons. God took them out of the way. And he left installed one that would really serve them in their best interest before God. Those of you that know the Lord know that you have a high priest that stands before the Lord making supplication for you. And he does it ever so faithfully. So that we can't have victory in our lives when we repent of past sins. The last chapter isn't written. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. They fasted. They poured out water. They were sincere. They were contrite. They were sorry for their sins. They realized that they had sinned and they repented. God loves a sincere confession. God loves a sincere repentance. And God acts on it. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered there to, uh, together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So they met together to come to repentance and meet to pray to the Lord. And here the enemy thought they were gathering perhaps to um, resist them or to fight them. And so now here they're on the attack. So let's see what happens. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. You see, now their eyes are in the right direction. They're looking to the Lord for salvation, that the Lord might save us from the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. It's interesting that he took a burnt offering and he cried out to the Lord. Because later we're going to see that Saul makes reference to making supplication to the Lord before a battle. Perhaps he goes back in thought to this time. But remember, Samuel's a priest, and he is qualified to offer a burnt offering. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against the Lord. And I love this part. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day, and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. Now, who was fighting their battles for them? The Lord. You see, oftentimes in life we feel we have to fight our own battles. If I don't do it, who will? Well, the Lord will do it if we look to Him. You see, there's nothing more invigorating to your spiritual life is that when you're in great need and you have no answer, no strength, no solution, and you cry out to the Lord and you see the Lord act. You see the deliverance that the Lord brings. You see the marvelous things He works out for you. There's nothing more invigorating to the spiritual life than seeing God's hand at work in your life. And if anyone's in this room and you don't know the Lord, think about what that would mean. Recognizing the hand of the Lord, working for your best interest, especially in moments of crisis. I have a a friend at work. He's a believer. And he found out he had cancer. I know who he's looking to for help. And it's not the doctors. It's the Lord. The Lord behind the doctors. Moments of crisis. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. 
saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were more, uh, were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. It was the hand of the Lord that was against them. He was holding them back. The invisible hand. They didn't need an army. They didn't need a king. They had the Lord. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we have to take a long look at what they had because they wanted to trade it away. They wanted to trade away this what they had. The invisible God. The all-powerful God. Someone they couldn't see for something they could see. Rather than trusting God, they wanted to trust man. And that was a great failure on their part. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on circuit to Beth, Bethel, to Gilgal, and to Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So we have success. Secret to success. Repent of our sins and contrition and humility. Confess our sins to the Lord. And He will provide what we need. Whether it's deliverance, whatever. He'll provide. In many more years of security they, left, they lived in after that because the Lord was keeping their enemies at bay. They didn't have to worry about fighting the enemy. The Lord fought the enemy for them. What a picture of security. And yet, once again, they grow old and tired of that. Now, it's interesting because sometimes history repeats itself. Samuel had two sons, and he was getting old. And his two sons were judges. Or they did judge. Now, it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Sad commentary, isn't it? That that sin would creep up once again. There's a heavy responsibility on us parents when it comes to children. And so oftentimes it's, it's difficult to be hard on our own children. And yet, think of the consequences. Think of the consequences. Some hard decisions have been made in the past by parents to take the more difficult path and come down stern on their children and leave it with the Lord. Much better that than um, letting it go unattended to. So that's the backdrop. Then all the elders of uh, Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. They wanted to be like all the nations. Who do you want to be like? Can you think of people out there in the world that you want to be like? Things they have, things they do, places they go. I mean, every once in a while... I'll go into somebody's house and there'll be a TV show on and I don't forget whose house I was in and they had these um, mega yachts. And these things are, each one of them, well over a million dollars. Some of them a hundred million dollars, hundred and ten million dollars. 
And they just showed the inside of these yachts and the lifestyle of these people. They must be billionaires, you know? Would you like to do that? I guess it should be rephrased. Would you trade your walk with the Lord for that? Anybody that truly knows the Lord would have to say no. At least they'd know that, they'd, they'd know that the right answer was no. <laughs> they'd maybe wish that the Lord would have let them do that. <laughs> but you know, the world has its standards. The world has its prize. The world lifts up its example of what you should shoot for. Do you want to be like the nations? And the more I live, the more I see that the nations don't really have anything to offer. <laughs> What they do have, they can't keep. And I'm brought back to Abraham. You know, he looked for a city that has foundations, whose builder and architect is God. Something they can't take away. Something that nothing can shatter the peace. And that's what our eyes should be. So the Israelites, they had God as their protector. Nah, all they saw was Samuel, and he's getting old. And his sons aren't walking in his way. So set up a king for us like all the other nations. That way we don't have to worry about what happens after you're gone. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel wasn't too happy about that. Why do you think Samuel wasn't too happy about that? Because they were rejecting his sons? Yeah, and we're going to see that. That's right. Samuel saw clearly. You know... Obviously, Samuel's sons didn't know the Lord. So, was there some deficiency in Samuel? Probably. I mean, there's deficiencies in all of us. Who's the perfect man? Who's the perfect woman? If you're waiting for the perfect man or perfect woman to follow or to obey, you wives, you're waiting for the perfect husband to submit to. You children, if you're waiting for the perfect parents to obey... Um, you saints, if you're work, work, waiting for perfect elders to follow, <laughs> you're going to be waiting a long, long time. But the spiritual person, the one that knows the Lord, can see the Lord behind these things. Children, trust that God is behind your parents for your good. Wives, trust that God is behind your son, husband for your good. Saints, trust that God is behind the elders for your good. God overrules everywhere. And he can make the the wrath of God to praise him. He can take the man with the greatest mistakes and use him for his purposes, for your good. So, Samuel grieved because they couldn't see God behind what was going on. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. That's what they were doing. Rejecting God. Rejecting God. And we need to take that to heart in question when we trade, when we pursue, when we long for things. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we trading those things for God? Are we shortchanging God and our relationship with God for those things, for that position, for that relationship, for that job? that place to live? Are we trading? I'm sure the Israelites would argue, oh no, we're not. We want God and a king. 
But God said it plainly, and he said it the way it was. They're exchanging me, the living God, the king. They reject my rule over them. Sad commentary, but that's the way it was. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are also, so they are doing to you also. Samuel felt, felt a bit of pain because he was used of the Lord judging Israel for many years. And now they say, give us a king. He felt that personally. <clears throat> and I find in my Christian life, whenever <laughs> I start to complain about a circumstance that the Lord's bringing me through, about how I'm treated or a difficulty that I have, I can tell when I'm starting to see spiritually more clearly because I hear the Lord saying to me, now do you know how I feel? You know? When I deal, when my children were younger and I had um, difficulty with the children sometimes, so many times the Lord would say, now you know how I feel? Because I would treat him the same way. Complain about something he'd make me do that I didn't want to do. Or drag my feet. Or throw a temper tantrum. Or get moody. <laughs> the Lord puts up with that all the time. And um, there's a verse that talks about us entering into the sufferings of Christ. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings. I think it's a precious thing that God's a personal God. And when he shares, when he, when he allows us to go through experiences, um, and then he shows us that he has gone through that experience, but to a much greater degree. There's something soothing and comforting about that. That's what God goes through. So God suffered rejection at the hands of the Israelites, and Samuel suffered a bit, bit of that rejection. And so Samuel entered into the sufferings of God in that sense. You know, life is full of experience that God takes us through to teach us lessons. For those that don't know the Lord, it's for the purpose that they might come to know the Lord. And once we come to know the Lord, it's that we might grow in our relationship with Him or our knowledge of, of Him, His person, what He's like, that we might become more like Christ. It's a personal relationship. It's not a force, not a religion. It's a relationship. You know? Um, there are some in this room that have a relationship with another person. They've been married for many, many, many years. I've been married um, 1985, so 24 years. And I'm still getting to know my wife. There's still things I don't know about her. There's still levels of communication we haven't gotten to. How much more so with a living, infinite God getting to know Him? Man, when the glory of heaven to me is going to be, He's going to unfold Himself Throughout the ages, we're going to learn more and more about him in a deeper sense. And then there'll, be a, there'll never be an end to that. And here they wanted to trade that all away and provide a king. And so, God says, well, give them their wish. Give them their wish. And that's a scary thought. Because if we whine and cry long enough, God will say, give them their wish. But with it, will come leanness of soul. With it will come anguish. With it will come regret. Because when they, when Samuel laid it out to them later on, they, they admit, we've, we've acted wickedly by asking for a king. Nonetheless, they couldn't turn back. There are some decisions in life you can't turn back from. There are some decisions that they have their consequence. Now, for those that know the Lord, that doesn't mean God abandons them. But, there's going to be some bitterness there. There's going to be some difficulties. 
<coughs> I believe, I know God's infinite in his knowledge and his understanding. He knows the end from the beginning. And he knew what would happen. He knew this character Saul, what he would be like and how he would end. He knew all this. And he went ahead anyway. You know, when I think about the king, we have a tremendous lesson about a kingdom and king. And it, and it really uh, serves as a lesson to us about the coming one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be prophet, priest, and king. He would hold the office of king. So I believe that God would have brought, brought about a kingdom with a king eventually in his own timing, in his own way, which would have been perfect. And here now Israel, they want to be like the other nations. Give us a king. So what was God to do? See, I believe it was in God's plan, eternal plan, that a king would come. And eventually it would be the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he allowed them. He brought it about in their way to teach them some very difficult lessons. And he lays it out what the king would be like. And I think one way, shape, or form, we suffer from it today when we think about all the taxes we pay. (laughs) You know, the, the king would heavily tax them would take of theirs, like Matt pointed out last week, would uh, profit from them. They would plow his fields, build his houses. He would take the choice men to fight the wars that he wanted to fight. Now, who did they trade away for that king, the living God, who was doing all the fighting for them? Wasn't taking anything away from them, was giving everything to them. That's what they traded. And so we're running out of time, but I want to leave that as a backdrop into the character of Saul. And, and just as a reminder to us, how important is the Lord to you? If you don't yet know the Lord, is he important enough to seek him? If you know the Lord, do you treasure him? Do you value him? So that every other thing on earth, anything that someone else has, whether, it, whether it's position, whether it's possession, whatever it is, pales in in comparison? Or are we tempted to trade those things away? Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, we do come before you and praise you. You're the living God. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. When we think of the nation of Israel and how they wanted a king and how they were saying to you that they did not want you to rule over them. Lord, we know deep down in our heart, just like Saul, that um, he wasn't worthy or fit to rule, and we're not fit to rule. You know the best things for us. You know the best path to take. Lord, and how simple you make life is just to follow you, seek to do your will. And Lord, there's such blessings to follow. Pray for anybody here this morning, if they're tempted to take a different path, that they're tempted, if they're tempted to trade you away, that you'd make it clear to them, Lord. We just pray that we might learn from these lessons and you might become ever more precious to us um, day by day. Pray that you'd help us not take it for granted that you have been holding back the enemies in many ways, shapes, and forms. And Lord, we thank you so much for that. We just commit this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen.